everyone. Hi, hello. Welcome to another episode of Allison Rosen is Your New Best Friend. I'm sitting here with Elliot Kalin, former head writer of The Daily Show with Jon Stewart, head writer of Mystery Science Theater 3000, children's book author. He recently wrote Horse... Oh my God, I know that I own the book, Horse vs. Dog, Horse right? Horse meets dog. Horse meets dog. The fact that I messed that up is very disconcerting because that's the 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 factoid that should have been most fresh on my it's mind. The newest thing about me, yeah, that's the most up to date thing about. I me. know that's your latest news, and yet I totally messed it up. I hope that is not an indication of how the rest of this is going to go. No, no. Even if it is, we'll get through it together. Okay. okay. Well, thank you. Also, one of the co-hosts of the super popular and very hilarious podcast, The Flop House. Oh, thank you. Um. What am I leaving out? Uh, that's pretty good. I mean, I've done other stuff, but those are the marquee things. Those are the those are the big things. Father of two children. Father of two children. One is four, and well, that's not true. By the time this comes out, he'll be just about five, and because he's going to turn five in a matter of weeks. And oh, this will come out be- probably before then. Okay, then he's four. Okay, yeah, and, we, we got to be very accurate. <laughs> and the other one is four months, so I've got a classic four and four situation. Oh no. Four years and four months. Right. And the four-year-old is very much in favor of getting attention. Mm-hmm. And the four-month-old also likes attention. Yeah. And so they both like attention. It's You can't always, you can't give attention to both of them at the same time, although sometimes you can. And I've uh, my wife and I are both pra- uh, perfecting the talking to one kid while eating while another kid sits on your lap. Oh. And the hard part is not getting food in the baby's hair <laughs> because there's just food falling out of your mouth onto the top of the baby's head, but the baby doesn't mind, so that's okay. Right. Who are you usually talking to versus who's usually in your lap, or does it? do you switch it up? Usually the baby's in the lap, but sometimes the baby's in his little chair, mm-hmm. and which he loves, and I don't want to make it sound like I'm not, I'm like, setting him aside and he has to settle for the chair when he'd rather have the lap. Well, the sometimes he'd rather have the lap. Right. And, and those times uh, my older son will crawl into my lap and he'll get in the way of whatever I'm, do- whatever I'm doing usually. Or there was a time when I was trying to read a book to both of them and he kept wanting to point out things in the book to his little brother. Oh. But it was very sweet, but it meant that I like couldn't see through his head like he kept getting in my <laughs> yeah. way and i was like i can't he's like so daddy tell him the next thing i want to show him the next thing i'm like i can't your, your <laughs> head is right in front of my face i cannot read these letters that's all very cute oh they're very cute they're very cute kids that's... the uh the the older one is a real ham uh he loves to like be on spotlight i did a reading of horse meets dog at skylight books in la and they released it as a podcast if anyone's interested in listening to it and you can hear my son interrupting the entire time because he has <laughs> things he wants to say about the book and he's got points he needs to make but if you introduce him to somebody he'll like cling to your leg and get very shy mm-hmm. but if he's in front of a group of people then he's got to talk he's got to do lots of things he's gonna be a podcaster oh yeah he's, I, i've <laughs> got to start with him right away there was a he actually he kind of is already because I, I used to do a podcast for audible called presidents or people too and i'm obsessed with abraham lincoln and my son's middle name is lincoln my mm-hmm. older son and we did an episode on Abraham Lincoln, and I was 
slowly coaching my son through the Gettysburg Address, and it was we had to do it like two to three words at a time because at the time he was about two years old, and he would lose interest after two to three words, mm-hmm. and I then I like cut it together at the end. So he does like the first line of the Gettysburg Address at the end of the podcast, and it was very cute. But then I had to stop. I had to stop before we finished the speech because he started thinking it was very funny to insert the word oil or oil can. <laughs> and Or he would say, like, he'd go, four score seven years ago, our fathers died. And I'm like, <laughs> that's, not how, that's, that's not it at all. But uh, so he, uh, he's, a, he's a really funny kid, and he cooperates sometimes. Because mm-hmm. I guess what I'm saying about my older son. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's very cute. Um, and here's another factoid about you and me that you might not remember. We were in a class together at UCB a million years ago. Was it the Ian Roberts class? Yes. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I forgot that you were in that. I'm sorry. That was the class where there were like fewer and fewer people yes. as the class went on. Andy Milanakis was, I believe, in the class like the first day. The first day. And yeah. then he like disappeared after Yes. Do me a favor, scooch that mic a little oh, bit sorry. closer to you. I keep no. moving away from the mic. No because worries. Because it's in my peripheral vision, and I keep thinking it's like a spider or something that I need to get away from very fast. That's your reaction to the microphone? Well, it's anytime. I don't, I'm one of those people who like, if I see something out of the corner of my eye, I assume it's either a threat or a hallucination. So I have to like get away from it <laughs> right. fast. Right. It's why like I've never been a drug user was because, which you can tell I've never been a drug user because I used, said never been a drug user, which is what a narc would say. But like, <laughs> right. because... I would like to use some drugs, <laughs> yeah, please. please. If I could, I would like some drugs for personal use. <laughs> right. The uh, And there's, not for medicinal, recreational, please. <laughs> right. And because whenever I, I'm, I don't trust my own understanding of reality a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. And so I'll see something move out of the corner of my eye and I'm like, that's probably a huge spider. And I look over and it's like... A leaf in the wind, you know, or something <laughs> like that. But that's right. I remember I have – that's – now I think I do remember you. And I have such clear memories of that of that class. Did you – so did you only take one UCB class? That's the only one I took. Okay. I that was, narrows down how you were able to so quickly narrow it down. Yeah. I was just, just the one because I was – I was too intimidated to take improv classes. Mm-hmm. I wish that I had now. I really think it would have helped me out as a creative person and to get over any shyness I had in my personal life. But – I felt like too – it was this combination of intimidated by the people there and also like, I don't need them. Forget yeah. it. I'll mm-hmm. do it without them. You know? Right. But performing at UCB was always like this big – it felt like that was going to be like getting to the top of a mountain or something like that. Mm-hmm. And fine, And I knew people who did it and I was really in awe of them. And then w- finally one time uh, I used to perform sketch comedy with a guy named Brock Mahan who was also in that class. We took it together. and The one th- that I was in? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my god, I'm not remembering Brock. He's like he's kind of blondish, uh, very nice guy. Now he has a child, but at the time he didn't, so that information would not help you, right? But I, but I, I'm trying to think back on someone with that kind of voice who seems like one day he'll have a child. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and we were asked to do also, and uh, Will Hines was in that class, yes. Too, and he asked us to do a sketch in to do one of our own sketches at a show he was hosting at like midnight. Uh, at UCB, and we finally did it. And I remember that so well the feeling of being backstage at that theater for the first time and being like, "This place is like a dump. Like, <laughs> yeah. like this is really cool that we're doing this, but this place is like real. Like it's full of garbage. Like right. not people, obviously, but like yeah. there's literally like garbage in piles and corners and mm-hmm. things like that. But it was a dump. That was the UCB before they moved, right? Or was um, that when they moved? You know, when I was in the, when I was there, it was after the move. But when we took that class, that it was, was before, before they moved. It yeah. was when they were in the old former strip club. Uh, location, right. right, and not the under Gristides location, right? 
I feel, I, I can't remember, but I, like, it's like they moved from like 22nd to 26th or yeah. something. Yeah, see, that's, this is the difference. I can never remember street think, names or numbers, but I'm like, it was under a Gristidis. No, I'm pretty <laughs> sure under Gristidis was the second one. That's location. the second one, yeah, that yeah. That sounds right. The first one was the one that was like, it was really, really narrow, mm-hmm. right? And the they had you, and it was just like, got really hot. Like, yes. you see shows there and <laughs> they get way too hot. Yeah. I remember once seeing a show, there was a, there was a run where... Ian Roberts and Ali Faranakian were doing mm. a, were doing a, a run together called I think Ian and Ali, Ali and Alan or something like that. Uh-huh. Ali and Ian. And one show where it got so hot in the room and it was getting so late and some and people started like getting up and leaving. And at that time, if you got up and left, like the performers knew it, like right. everyone knew it. It was it's so small. small. Yeah. And it was just like you just this oppressive like heat and depression just settled on the whole room. <laughs> and it felt like a very real moment in the theater. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> yeah. But what? So, uh, what was your experience at with with UCB in that class and all the other? So, stuff like? I took the sketch writing class first, mm-hmm. um, and then I took two improv classes, mm-hmm. and I had trouble. I, I feel like it was helpful and it was good. Um, I didn't continue with improv. Like I never. I don't know what level you start. You form. You get on a Herald team. I think you might have to go up to four. Four, I think. So I did. I got to two. Um, I had trouble getting outside of my own head enough to like mm-hmm. give myself over to the exercise, like the warm up exercises you do, where it's like everyone's going to say a word in a funny way, yeah. or like okay. And I've later heard that this is like a theater uh, exercise, but like. Everyone get on the floor and I'm going to give you an age. And without using any words, you have to pretend to be that age baby <laughs> <laughs> or child. And I, I, I don't know. I just, and even like the beginning of the Herald, I think you take a suggestion and then you all like act out that word. I don't yeah, know. I yeah. just like, I can't do this. I could, but I couldn't. Um, I had a very similar experience in, I went to college for dramatic writing, mm-hmm. which is a fancy way of saying, plays and movies and stuff. You went to Tisch, right? Yeah, yeah, to the Tisch School of the Arts at New York University. Yes. The place where you are someone who lives in New York and your day job is you're a college student. You are not a college student in the traditional sense where the college is like the center of your life. Right. Instead, it's like, oh, I'm going to commute to work at class yeah. and then I'll leave and go do something else. Uh, and the they had, there, you had to take one semester of acting and I was – that was my sticking point was that like I could not – the exercisers felt really embarrassing and dumb to me. Yes. I remember very well sitting in a chair while everyone else was creeping around going like – acting out words being like sneaky, sneaky, <laughs> sneaky. Right. And I was like I can't do it even in front of like <laughs> eight people. Yeah. And now I think I'd be able – now it's like as a grown-up, I'd be able to embrace like, oh, okay, we're all being dumb right now. That's right. fun. Right. But at the time it was like, I don't want to look stupid. Yeah. It seems like so many of those acting exercises, the whole purpose is you're going to do something – as an actor, you're going to have to do stupid and embarrassing things. Right. So right now, do something that's just so much stupider and more embarrassing than anything you'll ever do before, yeah. ever after this. Because after you do this, nothing will seem that bad to you. So all the stuff – yeah, I remember I had a friend who was in the acting program there and he was like, we had to mime – eating oranges and other types of fruit for an hour. They <laughs> right. would just name different types of fruit and we just have to mime all of them. And I think there, there was probably some kind of like object work lesson in that. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of it was like, I'm going to make you do really dumb things. Right. And then... This when you... exercise in debasement, but it'll <laughs> help you. <laughs> exactly. And so in the future, when you have to like 
run around as if you're on fire on stage, but clearly you're not on fire. Like, it won't seem that bad to you because you've done this stupid thing already. Right. So I think improv would have been like that for me, too. Like, if you could, I don't know, it was almost like uh, when when I was younger, I felt very self-conscious in public. But if it was, like, part of, like, a video we were shooting for school or something— then I wasn't as self-conscious because it, it was like there was a there was an excuse there. Mm-hmm. I could just be like, well, I'm not really doing this. Like, there's a camera right there. Right. But in but there's something about doing those activities where it's like, well, there's no audience here. It's yeah. just us in a room and we're all going to, like, crawl around like babies. And know? some people were so into it, too. Yeah. So, of course, I hated them. <laughs> <laughs> Instantly, you're like... Terrible. Like, yeah, I don't want to know. I don't want to know this person. Um, you're right, though. If there had been a camera, then I think I would have been able to, to throw myself into it. Yeah, because you'd be like, "Oh, okay, this There's is a not purpose. Real, yeah, right. it's for a reason." Yeah. There was a there was a video that reminded me of something I hadn't thought of in a long time. Sorry, you were about to say something, but now no, 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 no. This like is a man, you are I'm my guest. You off. The, uh, <laughs> there was a video that uh, that a friend of of ours that that Brock, my sketch partner, was talking about. For we were in that was a class video for another person where. There was a scene where we were supposed to beat up a woman, and it was another person, a friend of ours, who was acting in the video. And she had like she had like these pillows under her clothes, and she and the person shooting the video was like, "I want this to be like from across the street." So she was across the street with the camera, and we were on the other side, and we just pushed her down and were kicking her like in these pillows in the stomach, and she wasn't hurt. But someone, this woman from across the street, started yelling, "Stop that! Stop it! Stop it!" And we were oh, like, geez. "Sorry, it's for like a movie or something." And she was so mad at us. And I was, and at the time, I was like, "What was her problem?" But now, looking back, I'm like, she did the right thing. Yeah, <laughs> like that woman, she saw something and she said something. Like, I hope I have the courage someday to to do that if I see someone getting beat up somewhere. Right, to just yell like, "Stop it!" <laughs> yeah, I don't know what I would do, but it was. Something- Oh, sorry. Oh, no, 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 you, you go ahead. Oh, no, but it was one of those moments where it's like, oh, she didn't know that there was a camera there. And so instantly I felt kind of like ashamed. But if the camera had been right next to it, she would have been like, hmm, okay, make right. a movie or something. Right, right. Um, what I was going to say, not at all the same. However, <laughs> <laughs> there is a tiny thread that connects them, though. Um, we just went away on our first vacation ever since having kids with oh, our congratulations. son. We, we flew with a toddler, which I do not recommend. I'm sure you've done that. Yeah, what we, uh, my... So we were living in New York for a long time. My wife's family is in Northern California. And now we live in Southern California. My family's still in New York. So my son, I didn't get on a plane until I think I was over 10 years old. And my son has flown, I don't know how many times, like starting from being a baby. But it's no fun. And toddler is the worst. That's what I think. I think that if we had done it when he was younger, it actually would have been easier. Because now he's mobile, but he doesn't understand that there's like a protocol and you're supposed to sit in your seat and we can't just walk into first class. He has expensive tastes, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and you can't take that person's headphones even though you want them. Yeah. And and when it's time to, when the seatbelt sign is on, like you can't get up. Right. He didn't want to sit in his seat. Yeah. Yeah. That's the hardest. But yeah. You were saying, so you were So anyway, up. we were at this hotel and um, the deepest the pool ever gets is like four feet or mm-hmm. something, which I feel like I remember as a kid being in hotels and there was a true deep end. It's been years since I've seen an actual deep end. So anyway, there's signs saying like no diving. Um, and we're in the pool and it's like a big sprawling. We were, we were in Hawaii and where it's like a big sprawling pool. And there were these kids climbing up onto these rocks and then jumping into the water. And they were maybe like eight or nine and it was making me so and presumably they have parents who are nearby but it was making unless me those so, kids were just like school is rough i need a vacation that's right and they just got on a plane and flew to hawaii <laughs> oh my god that was like my dream when i was a kid the idea of just doing some 
that like that level of independence. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm just gonna take off and go like because I was the mo- the opposite of that. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, as you said that like that like, that, like ignited some kind of eight year old <laughs> dream I had. But anyway, I kept looking at them jumping into the pool and was so was so worried about them hurting themselves hitting mm-hmm. the bottom of the pool and i felt like should i yell hey like should i say something and then my husband was like just let it go they have parents yeah, like, yeah. i don't know though what would you have done i think i would have that's a good question cuz he was I, like they're old enough to they know better they should they know they're not supposed to do that they're still children though yeah but they're still kids so like i think it's if my son was like, I want to do that, then I might have gone over and said like, hey, you're not really supposed to be doing this. But I, I have such strong – it's like we're – you know, you and me, we're in that period now where we are no longer children. But we are not old people. Old people say whatever they want mm-hmm. to whoever they want. They don't care. They have fart and burp when they want to, which I respect. Yeah, and they can fall asleep anywhere. Yes. Like that's the thing. I'm like when I'm old someday – I can fall asleep at a restaurant and nobody can get mad at me. I'm just old. Yeah. I ran out of batteries for a moment. <laughs> but we're not – and we're no longer kids, so we don't have that that knee-jerk reaction of like, ugh, like adult telling me what to do, da 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 Right. So we're in that weird place where it's like we don't yet have the confidence of mortality that we're going to just say whatever we want. And we don't yet have that feeling of like, let's just do fun stuff. Like, come on, mm-hmm. who cares if we get hurt? We're not going to get hurt. We're, we're young. We live forever. And so it's hard to know because I remember so well being young and adults that I didn't know saying like, don't do that. You'll get mm-hmm. hurt. And me being like, you don't have any power over me. <laughs> right. Like, get a step off, old man. You know, but you want to step in and like, but then if one of those kids hurt themselves, you'd be like, I could have stopped that. that. Exactly. That's what was getting me. Like I, so I did just swim off or whatever, but I felt like I'm shirking some kind of duty as then I well I felt like I was shirking <clears throat> a duty as a grown-up that being said there were a thousand grown-ups yeah, around yeah they, they weren't the only but you know still it, it just it sometimes it takes one person to show the rest how to lead how to how to live rightly and that yeah. person's name is Jesus Christ Allison I want to talk to you about something <laughs> oh boy this but, is it's going a different direction <laughs> than I expected no but it's like th- those moments are real like Spider-Man moments where Spider-Man's always like if I had stopped the robber who and went on to shoot my Uncle Ben. My Uncle Ben would still be alive, so I have to stop every crime now forever. Well, you're like, you start trying to go through, like, what are the, what are the repercussions of me not right. doing anything right now? Right. Like, is But then it's like, what if one of those kids grows up to be like a real like a real bad guy who does a lot of terrible things? Maybe it was the right thing to do, let them kill themselves in the pool. Yeah. Maybe by saving them, you'd be dooming the world. I guess what I'm saying is, you can't overthink things. It's a real, like, <laughs> butterfly effect kind of situation. Oh, now... Yeah. My husband and I were talking about butterfly effect and the what, movie or the effect. The effect. Okay. I haven't seen the movie. Is the movie about the effect? Mm, they think it is, but it's not really. It's not a good movie. Okay. Um, have you done a Flophouse episode about it? We, I, I mean, I, I actually an episode that I think was done before I was a co-host on it. Okay. Because I was not. I was started being co-host of it with episode twelve, I think, and so I think that was in that first eleven episodes. Mm. So I don't when they the shared a well. mic. Uh, yeah, I think it was all on one microphone, and it was the original co-hosts, Dan Stewart and Simon. Well, Simon left, and Dan and Stewart asked me to do it, and the show, you know, it just Got achieved better. this huge level of, I mean, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say improved remar- remarkably, but right. no, no, but like uh, the, but I think that was one of the pre-me Flophouse episodes, just like, and they did also the movie A Sound of Thunder, which is also about someone's 
stepping on a butterfly and causing mm. problems. So I missed all the butterfly effect movies. Maybe it's time to bring them back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I thought butterfly effect is like, if one thing changes, you know, everything could be different. Mm-hmm. But my husband was saying, yes, but it's not an immediate effect. It's like, it takes a long time to for things to have been different. Yeah, because there's two, so there's two origins, as far as I know, to the butterfly effect phrase. And one is the idea of a butterfly flaps its wings on this side of the earth, and then because of the ripples from that, there's a torn- a hurricane in another- on the other side of the earth. And the other one is the Ray Bradbury Sound of Thunder thing where it's like, oh, I stepped on a butterfly in dinosaur times, and now in the future, the wrong person got elected president, and everything's terrible. Which well, maybe makes- that is what happened. I think that maybe is what I, I mean, that's <laughs> literally prophetic. what happens in the story, and I think that was what happened in real life. Yeah. Like, but, uh, but yeah, it's, the, it's like you change this one little thing, and then... I think over time it leads to something else, but also right. like, who's to say? Maybe it's like this butter the butterfly effect is that the butterfly like uh, I don't know, trying to think of something that happens immediately. It's like you step on a butterfly and then you slip on it mm-hmm. and knock someone else over, and that person falls down a manhole. Is that the butterfly effect? I don't know. I can't tell. I think so. <laughs> I guess if <laughs> I there's a know. butterfly effectologist who's listening, yeah. like please write in. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, okay, so, gosh, there's so many things I want to talk to you about. Let's talk about them all. Okay. I got nothing but time. Where were you before before you moved to New York to go to NYU? Where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in New Jersey. So, not that not different from there. too far away. I, yes. I live, until I moved to Los Angeles, I never lived outside of, aside from, you know, vacations, I never lived outside of like a 30-mile radius between my hometown of Milburn, New Jersey, home of the Short Hills Mall and the Paper Mill Playhouse Regional Theater, and the and new york you know Mm -hmm. and and three of the five boroughs and so when i was a kid i was like oh my parents when they were old like my mom grew up in in new york my dad grew up in white plains and it was like and then moved to new york city when they were young they lived in new york city so what happens is you like grow up and become a grown-up and then you move to new york city and my grandmother lives in new york city so you just stay in new york city forever so in my mind until i was 30 it was like, oh, this is what you do is you grow up and you go to New York City and then you just stay there until you're one of those New York old people who like goes to the theater a lot and you see them at like matinee dinners at I mean, you know, honestly, fancy restaurants. That sounds like a good life. Oh, it's, my grandmother lives a fantastic life. Yeah. She lives the life. Does she live on the Upper East Side? She lives on uh, Midtown East. Mm. She lives in, in the Sutton Place uh, area. Not I know on, it. Not on Sutton Place, but in the area. Right. And uh, yeah, and uh, she like, you know, yeah. Goes, she has her theater subscriptions. She has her opera subscription. She she like would take a she has season tickets to the Metropolitan Opera, and she takes a different grandchild with her to each show. And so like, and she has amazing tickets. So one time, my wife and I, when we were young, we really wanted. There's an opera we wanted to see, and I got the tickets I could afford. And we were sitting all the way in the back, and I felt like such a snob because I was like. These tickets are not what I'm used to. Like, yeah, I, can, I can't see the actors' faces, the singers' faces that well. Um, so it's like, yeah, she lives like the life I always thought grown-ups are supposed to live, right. where it's like just this this New York sophisticated lifestyle. But you get to a certain point where, at least I did, where it was like, oh, I don't want to live in like a two-bedroom apartment with no outdoor space. And also in the winter, there you can't go outside and your son is bouncing off the walls, which was the situation that I found mm-hmm. myself in. So we uh, moved from New York after, after, at a certain point. And also there's a... Like, I was in New York for, like, about 18 years, starting when I was from 17 to, like, 35. And 
when I was young, it was like everything about New York was super exciting. Even the bad things are super exciting. Mm-hmm. Like you're like the subway is really crowded. You're like, oh, there's so much life and vitality. And you look through <laughs> Time Out New York and like there's so there's more things going on than I could ever do. Uh-huh. And it was like very exciting in the, when I was at the age when I could like go to a comedy show right after work and then go out for drinks with my friends who are in the show and then we're out until two and then I can – I have the time. I'll just sit and wait for the next subway train because I don't want to pay for a cab. But Okay, I just missed one. It's an hour till the next one. All right, I'll get home at four or whatever right. and then I'll go to work normal time the next day. And it was a change from that to being an older person, being you know someone in my mid-30s and being like, I'm tired all the time. Like <laughs> I just want to be able to like sit and not be squeezed next to another human being. Yeah. Like, I want to feel like I'm not – what I tell people all the time is that it it started to feel like I was living in a termite hill where it's like everyone's crawling all over everybody <laughs> mm-hmm. else and you're just pushing each other out of the way. And the first time we went back to visit New York after we moved out here, I had a meeting with the my editor on Horse Meets Dog and I got on the subway to go meet with her. And like maybe five minutes into the ride, I was in, in an argument with a, with a stranger about like I didn't move far enough away from the door when they were walking uh-huh. in as they wanted and it was like – in my head, I'm like, what am I doing? <laughs> like, this is, like, I don't get into arguments with anybody in Los Angeles. Like, yeah. this is crazy. Yeah. Yeah, by the time I left New York, um, I moved. I'm from Southern California originally. Oh, okay. And then lived in New York for nine years and then moved back in 2010. And by the time I moved back, I definitely had gotten to a point where I wasn't taking advantage of the city. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I had... You know, because I, I had the sa- the begin. You know, my early days in New York were like yours of like, oh my god! But it's like amazing, and I'm doing all this stuff, and I'm staying out super late. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, and I wasn't taking advantage of <clears throat> any of it near the end. But I still, I still miss it. Mm-hmm. Like, because just because I was living in Brooklyn in the end, and just what part walking, of Brooklyn were you in? Uh, Carroll Gardens. Oh, okay, yeah, I was in Park Slope. Very yeah, close. I loved it, and just walking, just like walking to the grocery store and back was exciting to me oh yeah well i it missed felt that. like i accomplished something <laughs> <laughs> you're like i did it yeah. yeah there was my last job in new york before we moved out here i was working on a show for netflix called the who was show mm-hmm. which is a kid's show about history kids love it every stop on the horse meets dog school tour i say i wrote for the who was show and kids go nuts for oh, it Oh wow they're like i love that show tell me about frida Kahlo. you know or like <laughs> who the characters are on it and i my was living in park slope and the offices were in uh, what's the name of those studios? Steiner Studios. Or oh, in called? Queens. Uh, no, in oh no, that, uh, that's there's Silver Cup in Queens. Oh, that's what I'm there's thinking of. Steiner, I think it's Steiner. That's like near what used to be like the Brooklyn Navy Yard, mm-hmm. and or maybe still is. I don't know. Uh, somebody tweet at me about whether it's still a Brooklyn Navy Yard, <laughs> right? And, and if it happens, if you're also the butterfly <laughs> effectologist, yes, what an interesting little niche you've carved out for <laughs> yeah. yourself. And uh, I would walk. It was like a 45 minute walk from my apartment to the office and I was like I love this that I'm going to walk I get an hour and a half of walking in every day I read while walking because I get bored with doing the same walk over and over again and I don't mind if a car hits me so I was getting that a lot of reading very done. daring yeah it's but it read was, on your phone or no no like a book like I'll hold a book okay. and uh the but it was like I had to go through a couple of different neighborhoods that were all very different and so I would have like these little interactions with people that we're just like it was just really nice to you walk by and like a cup and like some old ladies are sitting outside of a building on chairs and like you say hi to them or like there's kids playing outside of another building yeah. and you like have to maneuver around their hopscotch game but it's not but everyone's kind of friendly about it and I really miss that in Los Angeles like in Los Angeles I don't if I drive through a neighborhood that I'm not familiar with it's like I'm not 
exhilarated by it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I'm not not like exchanging a glance with someone I don't know and being like, hey, how's it going? Nice day, huh? Instead, it's just like, (laughs) like move, like get a go, like go. I think that's, I think that's an effect of being in the car. Yeah. But also if I were walking around Los Angeles, I also wouldn't be, um, charmed by it. (laughs) So I don't know. Okay. So you went to Tish with the intention of studying what? Uh, screenwriting. Which is what you studied. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did. It was in the dramatic, what well, was then called the dramatic writing program. It's since been upgraded to the Department of Dramatic Writing. Mm. And you could specialize in either playwriting or, or screenwriting. And when I was leaving, they were starting to introduce TV writing classes. And that's how, like, that's how, that's how, that makes me feel old is that I'm like, yeah, when I went there, TV was still considered garbage. And <laughs> right. so they didn't teach you how to write it. And now, of course, you read, like, all the time in, in, industry websites they talk about like well the real place for storytellers is television and stuff like that but uh i went to study i really wanted to write movies and i went to study screenwriting there and there are a lot of things i liked about that program and some things i didn't like as much and i met a few people there who are still very close friends of mine that's where i'm gonna mention his name again that's where me and brock met they and uh brock who has a child now who has a child now brock has a child we were just talking on the phone yesterday uh and it was, but I was like, could not wait to get out of there because after a certain point, I was like, okay, like I'm tired of writing. I'm tired of paying this school so I can write for grades. Like I want to <laughs> work somewhere where I can make money like doing money, something. Yeah. I was very like, when I, until I got to college, I was one of those kids who like didn't want to grow up and was like my, and like my friends would be using drugs and like drinking and like going to parties and stuff. And I was like, oh, I just want to like sit home and watch cartoons. I don't know, read comic books. And then it was like, once I got to college, I was like, I have no interest in being young. I want to be a grown up. I want to have a career. Like, get me out of here. So I like. But skipped. you just like circumvented the drug using phase. I skipped right? all the like the yeah. part, like, and I know so many people now who are like, I had these crazy times, and I was like, well, I didn't. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was a child, and then I had my eyes on the prize. Like, I couldn't. And my brother and sister both like after college, they like traveled for a while and went through Europe. And I was like, no, like I got to start working. I don't have time for this. Uh-huh. And so I, I graduated a semester early from school. And my last semester there, I How? was... How? Had you taken AP classes or... I took I had AP classes in high school that helped me with some of those credits. And, but also like I doubled up on writing classes. Like the, I remember you're supposed to get permission from the head of the department for your, you know, what your schedule is going to be. And I wanted to double up on classes and I took it to him and he was like, no, 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 you got to take your time. And then I like waited and went back when he wasn't in and his <laughs> assistant was like, okay, yeah, sure. I'll just put his, I'll just, you know, you oh, can just do this. Smart. And so... I like just zoomed through that program, and in retrospect, it's like, oh, I wish I had, I had like taken more time. Mm-hmm. As with anything in my life, I'm like, well, I wonder what the way would be different. Like, I'm the guy who I order stuff in a restaurant, and as soon as the waitress walks away, I'm like, maybe I should have gotten this other thing. Same. Like, it's it's a terrible thing to live with, like that kind of anxiety. But uh, the but I was my last semester there, I interned at the Daily Show, and a production assistant position opened up just as I was leaving school. And so they were like, they asked me to interview for that position. And then that, and so from that point until that was the end, that was like 2002. And then from then until uh, 2015, I was working at The Daily Show. That's amazing that you worked your way up from intern to head writer. That's like the dream. Yeah, it was a real, it was a real Horatio Alger type situation. <laughs> right, and, I'm inspired. Oh yeah, the, the secret is I started very young. Uh-huh. And so I could, it was like, oh, I had the time. Like I started working, like I was an intern there when I was 20. So it was like, okay, I have, looking in retrospect, it's like I had years to put into it. But 
it was all it so much of it had to do with that place mm-hmm. you know like it was a really special place to work and the people there were very good to me and i feel very close to a lot of them still and john was very close like john was very good to me in a way that looking back now seems crazy to me that like being low man on the totem pole and the host of the show is like it's not like he was like i'm gonna take you under my wing and i'm gonna mm-hmm. move you forward but from very early on was just like super friendly and supportive and like and the the higher up the hierarchy i got at the show like the more i don't know just it, it, it there were times when i felt like okay i can I can take a chance at this place because the people here know me Mm -hmm. and I don't need to worry that I'm going to like, I mean, I was always worried I was going to overstep my bounds. They're going to be like, that's it. Get out of (laughs) here. But it felt very much like, I don't know, it was just a very special place to be. And the people there were all, all really cared about each other. And we were working really close together. When I was there, a lot of the people who are still there, we were all really young. So like our lives were making that show. And then we'd go out and hang out the people who worked on the show together and there were a few people there who like like uh, one of the executive producers now is this woman jen flans who she was my supervisor as an intern and a pa and then she moved up the ranks and i moved up the ranks and like she was very she was it was like i used to dress like a stupid punk kid so i'd be like wearing like black jeans and like a black like frankenstein t-shirt <laughs> tucked in and like black sneakers and she was like you need to dress like like a grown-up and so she would take me out and like help me shop for clothes and things <laughs> like that and she, like she was just the people that were just very very good to me and it's it was a hard decision to leave it and when when john left the show i left the show and could you have stayed on if you wanted i think so probably the uh a lot of people stayed on and then over time they've either felt like now is my time to go or oh here's another thing i want to do you know the uh the thing, the, in my mind, it was like, this is going to be a different show, and I want to do something even more different than what mm-hmm. I've done before, and this is a good time to go. I've been here for a long time, and I started as head writer a couple weeks after my son was born, and so it was like I was almost never getting to see my family because the hours were long, but the it was, it was, but it was a very hard place to leave, and I remember afterwards, it was like leaving home to go to college and leaving college to become like a grown-up was not as – didn't affect me as much as leaving that show felt like it did at the I time That Well, you've been there 13 years, right? Yeah. It was like 13 years and it was like – my wife said to me, she's like, I hope you recognize that like that's that was a special experience and you're never you're never going to have a show again where you grow up at it. Mm-hmm. Like I started that show. I was started, started that show. I didn't start the show. Like I, John didn't even <laughs> start the I show. I invented it Daily Show. Liz Winstead and Madeline Smithberg <laughs> right. started it. And uh, the – but when I, when I started there, I was like 20. I was finishing college. And was just like this kind of like idiot dork kid. And when I left, I was like, it was as a head writer, but also like I was married. I had a child. Like it was just, it was, it felt very much like, oh, like I grew up at this place, Mm -hmm. you know, and this was my, this was my college even more than college was. And the, and it's been very weird since then to adjust to life outside the show a little bit. It feels a little bit like, in the movie Twins, how like Arnold Schwarzenegger is grown on an island. He's raised on an island outside of normal society. <laughs> and then he goes to, to the mainland and meets, you know, Dan DeVito and all that. And he's like, how does this work? How do I drive a car? Like, what's this? Like, that's how it feels like sometimes is I'm like, oh, okay, well, this is the way we do it at The Daily Show. But like, that's not how it works anywhere else. So like, what's an example of that? Um, I'm trying to think of a very specific one other than just like, 
if like people people all the time i'll be in a meeting and someone be like and so and so you know so and so of course and i'm like did they work at the daily show i don't know them if they didn't <laughs> like that's where that's kind of like the the context i work and people they, they'll be like oh you were a head writer at a show so you must have gone through this and this and i'm like no because right. i was in this very special like this very um the sh- the show felt in a lot of ways kind of isolated from the rest of show business even though you had people going off from it to make like movies and things like that like the correspondents would go off and do other things but it felt like um hermetically sealed in a very good way a lot of the time which was that like john didn't get messed with too much by the network and we didn't have to worry too much about what other shows were doing we, like we didn't feel like we were in necessarily competition with other shows and for a long time there weren't other shows like that so it was like like if, if our competition was like the tonight show or something like that like or snl those are such different types of show that it wasn't it wasn't like we were like oh okay we gotta you know how are we gonna beat them or something like that it, it was more like okay well there's we're doing what we're doing you know right. that's what we do but so to to then go off and be like oh i've got to learn like how to like meet people and remember their names <laughs> and then like mention their names to other people like networking was a big part of it like oh yeah like i can't guarantee that everyone i meet will be someone that i've known for a decade <laughs> and like worked with very closely when colbert and john oliver started did you regard them did you guys regard them as competition uh colbert not quite as much because i mean n- n- not really it's like when colbert's show started he had just left daily show and it was still it felt like a family show you know like and we we would do stuff where there was a toss between john and steven at the end of the show sometimes and we would write a lot of those and they were all there were one or two times when when colbert's show was starting where it was like they wanted to give colbert like a little bit of a of a leg up to help him out so it'll be like oh let's not do that story i know steven's gonna do that story and then eventually but that happened for like a week and then and then we were (laughs) like well we're just gonna we're just gonna do them anyway and occasionally, because the thinking was just similar, we would have a joke that was very similar to their joke, but our show aired before theirs, so it was always like, <laughs> like we got, <laughs> they think you stole from us, but really, yeah. no one stole from anybody. And with, and the same with John Oliver, it was like, it wasn't quite as much of a like, okay, they're just the other wing of the house, you know, but it was still... Is that because he was not on Comedy Central, do you think? I think so. But also, like, but it wasn't like we were like, okay, well, we got to crush him. It was like, oh, good. Like, I hope they do well. Like, the the Oliver left with nothing but goodwill. And, like, I know, speaking personally, like, he's amazing. Like, I'm a huge fan of his, and he's a really great person. And his executive producer, Tim Carvel, was – he was my boss when he was head writer of The Daily Show. When he left, I became head writer. So, like, he's someone I think so highly of. He's one of the best – pure like comedy joke writers and also like analytical humor thinkers that i that i know and so like i don't think there was ever a case of like oh well now now they're the enemy like now mm-hmm. we gotta get them but there may have been other shows that i won't name where we were like that show sucks like we like we gotta we gotta stomp them so you oh know my god i want to know so bad i'll tell you i'll tell you when the microphone's okay right. i mean we didn't it was more like if uh there'd be shows that we would i mean there's no one i think in any industry there's someone who just kind of inevitably there's another another person in the industry that that becomes like your nemesis even when there's nothing really there yeah like the um there was a one of the most amazing things i ever did and then i will end this very long answer was john oliver and a couple other people at the daily show and me we went we did a uso tour in afghanistan and and one stop in at an air force base in kyrgyzstan uh performing for for the armed forces 
And it was amazing just to see like how uh what the rivalry between forces was really there. Oh really? And like how the army hated the Air Force, like they they both seemed to hate the Marines. Like nobody like when the only people that everyone people didn't like active openly like disparage was special forces because they were very scary. Like <laughs> if you were in a in a in a defect in a dining facility and guys with beards walked in, the military people would be like, Those are special forces. You can tell because they get to wear beards. Like <laughs> they like let's not let's not talk about them. Like and uh the but it was like just nonstop attacking each other. And these are people who are literally fighting alongside each other in right. a war and they're still like, oh, Air Force, they suck. It's like they're sibling a bunch of rivalry. Wusses. Yeah, yeah. I think it's more like that. Us and the others would be more like sibling rivalry. It wasn't really like, oh, we hate them. Yeah. Like, we, we, we want to run them off the air. Like, that'd be terrible. <laughs> I still want to know off air, though, who they are. Not um, sure. All this talk about uh, this trip down memory lane we're taking, you know what gift you need? This is the worst segue ever. And I usually prize myself on like segues <clears throat> that are so bad they're good. This one is just bad. Um, here's the thing, Elliot. Anyone can take a photo, say a photo of you with your friends at The Daily Show and frame it and give it to you as a gift that you put on your wall. That's what anyone can do. It takes a special person to say, I'm going to turn this photograph into a beautiful canvas. I'm going to get this printed on a canvas and I'm going to turn it into a piece of art and I'm going to hang it on my wall. What a great gift that would be. You probably trying to find something. I mean, right now you're trying to find something for your significant other, wife, husband, girlfriend, boyfriend, mom, dad, parent, son, daughter, friend, coworker, something they really love. Something from Canvas people, specifically a photo printed on a canvas, is exactly what they need. It's a cool way to turn photos of your family or whatever, your coworkers, photos of Jon Stewart, into art for the wall. We have four of these. We have two from our wedding. And I, I went ahead and I did this without Daniel signing off. And he saw it and he's like, I look like a dork in that photo. And I said, I like it. And what I meant by that is I look good in it. And so we have two from our wedding and then we have two of our dogs because that's what we care about. I should probably get some of my son. Now, as a special, very limited holiday offer, canvaspeople.com is offering their popular 11 by 14 photo canvases for free. That's right, free. These normally sell for $69.99, but for this week only, you'll pay nothing. Just cover shipping and handling. To get your free canvas, text Allison to 797979. Just pay shipping and handling. This offer won't last. Text Allison to 797979. That's Allison to 797979. Message and data rates may apply. Okay. That sounds like the solution to, I've always wanted to get a family portrait painted. There you go. As if we were one of the royals of yore. Yes. And my wife thinks that that is insane. So maybe a photo on a canvas would kind of like scratch both itches. That's right. This is until you get to the point where you really can sit for a portrait. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This is what you should do. And just so you know... There may be a few more of those great segues coming up. <laughs> so that USO tour must have been um, intense. Uh, it was really amazing. It was great. I mean, I don't want to overstate it. It was like five or six days. It wasn't like we were on the road for you know months and months. Right. And the and and the people that we were meeting there had been in country for for months and months and months. And the but it was just like the everyone we met was was really impressive and like super. It like excited to see us and just like it gave me a lot of uh it's very easy to 
I feel like for a for a liberal guy like me who does not care for war except in the movies, uh, <laughs> like to be anti armed forces, and it was a very good reminder to me, like the people in the armed forces, I should not confuse with the decision makers uh, right. who send the army out to with do things, the or send the air force, yeah, and that there are people who they're doing what they're doing for the right reasons, and they are, you know, they're that they're they're people that were that I just had so much respect for. So I like had theoretical respect for them before and then had like real literal grounded respect for them mm-hmm. afterwards. And it, but it was also it was bad for me because the impression I got of war was totally wrong, which is that like wars I well, the impression I got was like this is super fun because the whole because <laughs> we were never in danger and so I was like, "Oh, when you're in Afghanistan, you just get to fly around in helicopters and like climb on top of tanks and then you like perform comedy and then you go to another <laughs> place." And it was, so my impression of what it's like to be in a war zone was really skewed in the in the wrong direction because right. it was a lot of like well here's here's an apache helicopter you want to climb on top of it yeah of course i do <laughs> and like you would be it was too it was considered too dangerous to travel by land unless you are in an operation or an armed convoy or something like you don't travel on land there and so everywhere was was in Black Hawk helicopters, and we'd ride around in them with the doors wide open so that we could see more stuff. And I always wanted the seat next to the door because I wanted to like see everything. And so you're sitting there, and like the wind is whipping that into your face. Scary. It was a little. I took a picture of my leg almost hanging out the door to scare my wife when I came back. <laughs> but like the the country there was just like just like amazingly beautiful, and just seeing it from that vantage point as opposed to the vantage point of watching the news and just seeing like smoking rubble and things right. like that it was just really i, I got to see so many ast- astounding things in the in the in the span of like a little bit less than a week you know and it was just a, an amazing experience and it made me feel very guilty that i will most likely never serve my country in that you know that intense a manner but instead hey, but you write jokes yeah yeah there you go yeah <laughs> i mean well, that's that's the thing is people are always like yeah but you give people that that moment of enjoyment and i'm like mm, there's like there's a lot of outlets for that yeah. it's like although now uh i have been seeing i've been feeling more of a sense of service in providing space for people to get away from the real world right it, beca- it feels like even back then and this was like 2014 this oh no, this was a uh, 2013 it felt like and like comedy was like frivolous to a certain extent like even satire was a little frivolous but the but they but with that it was like now it's it feels like oh okay like the the real world is so impossible to escape at any moment that like anything that you can anything you can do to like take people away from it for a little mm-hmm. bit like we get a lot this is gonna be me sound like me tooting my own horn but it's just Please, a comparison toot is, away. is that like we get at the flop house, we'll get letters from people saying like, I, I, w- I was going through a really bad time or, you know, there was, I had a health scare or something like that and listening to you guys help me get through it. And it feels like America is now going through like a really bad health scare. And so like if it can take a couple minutes to take its mind off of it, it becomes like therapeutic in a real way as opposed to therapeutic in the fake like, well, you know, laughter is the best medicine right. like, kind of thing. Right. But in a sense of like, Oh, okay. Like I can escape from the world for a moment, and that will allow me to rest and rebuild my energy for the rest of the day when I have to engage with the world much more than I ever thought I would have to. You know, if <clears throat> here's a hypothetical: if John Stewart had stayed at the Daily Show, so all all things the same as they were before, and you were still there as head writer during this period of time. 
do you imagine like I imagine oh it never would have happened John and me working together Trump would never get elected (laughs) well I guess you guys dropped the ball yeah yeah no Um, I think what was the actual question well, because we would have had no impact on the world, but no. But I'm wondering, like, I imagine sometimes because I, um, I used to work, I used to be the news girl on the Adam Carolla show, mm-hmm. and I think often about like if I were still there during this political climate, it would be so different and probably unpleasant. Um, like, do you think about what it would be like if you were still doing that job in this climate, and like how would that be different than when you were there? Oh, sure. I think. I mean, I have so much respect for the people who are doing it now because I think it's much harder. It's a it's a harder time to both find humor because everyone's much angrier all the time. It felt like when when we were doing the show it was like here's something you may not have known about and you're learning about it now. And now it feels like you already know this. Like right. we're not and and we're already you're already mad, you know. The show is not uh we we have to find they have to find a way to provoke a different emotion than you're already feeling and to get you to laugh at things that you are feeling a sense of despair over mm-hmm. instead of just like, what? That's crazy. You know, like, oh, I don't like that. Now it's like people are, you know, very much depressed. And it's just my, and also dealing with when I was working there when we were, when Bush was president and when Obama was president. And when Bush was president, it felt like you'd poke, you'd find like a hypocrisy in something that was going on and people would be like, what? That's outrageous, and now it feels like it doesn't matter. Like Trump has his his brand is I'm a liar and I do whatever I want and <laughs> no one can stop me. So if you say like he did this crazy thing, people are like, "What are you gonna do?" Like that's right. That's who it's what he does. Like we've become numb to all the insanity. Yes, there's a relative of mine who is a little bit ruder than the rest of the family. And Ooh, the rude Kalen. Th- yeah, the rude. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> and I was saying to my wife, I'm like, that's not fair that they get to get away with it. Why do they get away with saying that stuff? And my my wife was like, because they're mean, and everyone knows they're mean. Yeah, and so they just get away with it. And I was like, oh well, that yeah, that's that's the, the president. It's just like it's not like people hear him talk and are like, yeah, 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 that makes sense. You're you're a smart person who's telling the truth. People are like, yep, that's what he does. You know, da da do. You know, it's there's a it's a little bit like people who go to comedy shows when they know the comedian is like an edgy comedian and then they get really mad and offended and walk out and it's like, well, what did you think you were doing? You know, right. like that. I feel like there's a lot of, there's a lot of that with this president where it's like, yeah, of course he's like literally tampering with witnesses through Twitter <laughs> while, while he's being investigated. They're like, well, that's what he does. Come on. What are you going to do about it? Nothing. So, right. And so to do that show now would be, is just, I say do that show now would be as if it was not being done now already. Like all the shows they're doing it now, they just have a much harder uphill battle and I did not have the – I don't have the guts for it. Like <laughs> if uh, if someone was like, okay, you come in and do your version of a kind of topical show about President Trump, I'd be like, I don't know. I don't – the uh, – I, as a thought experiment, I was trying to figure out what my like characterization of Trump would be if I was in that situation because you have to like build your version of the real person mm-hmm. to present them on the show and – you can't out bluster or out crazy him. There's no way to do it, right? Because like, he is unmoored from reality, and even right. Well, you watch SNL dealing with that with their. Yeah. I mean, I think it's very funny their parodies, but it's it's like they find a specific, you know, a funny thing he says and lampoon that as opposed to like making him even more crazy. Yeah, as opposed to like Will Ferrell's George W. Bush character, who was a very specific character who like played on qualities about George W. Bush, but was his own humorous creation you know right. whereas 
with this with Trump, it's like no matter how you can never like I can't think of a comedy writer who is as crazy as Donald Trump is <laughs> right. and as able to come up with like create like may it would take like maybe if like Stephen Wright was writing <laughs> about Donald Trump like his his stuff is or Emo Phillips like their stuff is strange enough that maybe yeah. they'd be able to capture it but like the but I had this version of Donald Trump where I was like okay well I'm not gonna I wouldn't try to outdo him but if I had a version of him that was like in private was always like not doubting himself exactly but like giving up giving a speech where he says something crazy or tweet something and then him just being like why do I do these things like why <laughs> did I do that what I know I can't why would I say something like that that's a terrible thing to say like Donald what are you doing to yourself like oh, that like the like the uh, like the self-doubting Trump which I think is the real one inside of him mm-hmm. like no one talks about how great they're at everything unless they know that they're terrible right and they fear people noticing it but it's just too tough, too tough. So yeah. my, my heart goes out to everyone who is who is working those fields right now because the topsoil has blown away and it's nothing but rock that they have to sow their seeds upon. You know what my heart goes out to? <laughs> my heart goes out to people who have a ton of stuff they want to preserve that's all analog format. Because what are you going to do with all those videotapes, cassette tapes, heart, actual photos, albums and albums of photos? Because that stuff's becoming obsolete and it doesn't last. And also it takes up a lot of room. You need Legacy Box. Legacy Box is this amazing company. And by the way, of course, this makes an amazing gift for the holiday season. You send your stuff to them. They digitize all of it. They've been doing this for years and years and years. It's all done in the US. They're like experts at digitizing your precious analog content and then they give it back to you and then you have a DVD, let's say, or you have a computer file or you have both. You have everything, that stuff that was, because we just moved, so I know how much room all of this stuff takes. You have it all miniaturized. I don't think miniaturized is the correct word, but what I'm saying is it takes up less space and it'll allow you to enjoy all of this precious stuff. Um, And if you're like anyone, which I'm going to assume you are, I'm going to assume you are like everyone, you're probably, I know that I'm clinging to videotapes, Um, like my early TV appearances. I think I'm the only, well, you know what? Maybe one day my kid will want to watch those. Um, Those are all on videotape. And I still have them. And I also hang on to a videotape player, which I haven't plugged in in forever. I don't know if it's going to work. Legacy Box is perfect for this. My dad has reel-to-reel stuff. Hello, Legacy Box. There's never been a better time to digitally preserve your memories. Visit LegacyBox.com today to get started. Plus, for a limited time, they're offering my listeners an exclusive discount. Go to LegacyBox.com slash Allison to get 40% off your first order. Go to LegacyBox.com slash Allison and save 40% today. Get started preserving your past. Okay, so you leave Daily Show. I'm very in awe of your reads. Oh, thank you. On, thank on the Flophouse, uh, the podcast that I do, our ad reads are pretty sloppy. And I'm just, I'm super impressed. Thank you, you very much. You know what much. you're talking about. Thank you. Like, you have an investment in it. It's like, I could, I could really take a lesson. Maybe Tell Madison Avenue. <laughs> <laughs> or wherever they're based now. <laughs> thank you very much. Um, you leave The Daily Show. Mm-hmm. Then where where did you go? What did you do? Uh, the next thing that I worked on was I was 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 super lucky. Was I had a short amount of time off, and then I was working on Mystery Science Theater three thousand, the new one, and that was the show that 
when I was an adolescent, like that was my favorite show. It's still my favorite show, and it did a lot to mold what I think is funny. And they announced that they were doing a Kickstarter fun- campaign for a new version of it. Right. And I was like, I got to get involved in this. And I tweeted, hey, how do I get involved in this? And John Hodgman said, I have Joel Hodgson, the show's creator's email address, if you want to get in touch with him. And I kind of cold call emailed him saying, like, I'm, this is what I've done. Like, I have this many awards. Like, I really hyped up, like, who I am mm-hmm. to, to sound more impressive than just kind of like, you know, Joe whoever from off the street. And that being said, I feel like former head writer of The Daily Show is a is a huge uh, thing. Yeah, but you have to realize this about me is that I have imposter syndrome. Okay. And so anything I've done instantly becomes devalued in my own mind. Gotcha. So like there was a there was so I'm a big movie guy. I love movies. Always watch the Academy Awards. And the first time that John hosted the Academy Awards, I co produced a montage for it. It was the year Brokeback Mountain was up. And a, a montage of like scenes from old westerns that were like kind of homoerotic. And it was and John was like, You should work on this. I like and uh I most of the movies that we used were like pulled from my home collection at home. He was they're like, Are you gonna be able to watch a lot of Westerns fast? And I was like, Yeah, of course I am. And I think <laughs> I watched like thirty in a month or something like that. I wasn't the only one working on it, but I watched a lot of the movies. And but and I was so excited about it and we worked really hard at it and John was a very tough judge on it, which was a good thing, and like really forced us to do cut after cut after cut of it. And when it finally aired, there was like a Daily Show staff Oscar viewing party, and we were watching it, and they ran that that montage, and then it was over, and I was like, oh, I worked on that. So this must be like the fake Oscars. <laughs> like, this can't be the real Oscars, because I was involved in it. And so it's a I little bit like that. I know what you mean. Yeah, every, everything I do... In my mind, it becomes like, oh, instead of me being elevated to its level, I'm brought down. It gets brought down to right. my level. And so anyway, but but he got back to me and he, he called me and he was like, it's like, oh, yeah, this is good timing. The, we were we were just starting to put together the writing staff for it. And he and I hit it off and we had like this kind of like clandestine spy meeting almost in a diner in New Jersey. <laughs> and and uh, I was lucky enough to work on that show last season and also this new season that just came out on Thanksgiving, Mystery Science Theater 3000 The Gauntlet on Netflix right now. But don't forget about the first season, Mystery Science Theater 3000 The the Return. Watch that too. And it was was another show where I was lucky to land on one where like the staff is really great. Like the people are very close. Like I like everyone there. And it was very exciting to work on this show that like I'd always wanted to work on. I've been going – I've had like this list in my head of like the things I wanted to do when I was 13 and like I've been able to check off a bunch of them. So I feel very lucky about that. Very – you know, hashtag blessed. Very hashtag blessed. (laughs) What are the other things? Uh, Write a Spider-Man comic, which I wrote a series from Marvel called Spider-Man and the X-Men that was six issues of Crazy Adventure and that was really fun and like trying to think what the other things are. I still haven't gotten to work with the Looney Tunes characters or the Muppets characters. And those, it's literally like all the stuff I want to do as a kid. You know? Yeah. And like someday I'm working now on my, this is not, not a young, this is not a young me goal, but like my current goal is I'm putting, I'm working on a project about Chester A. Arthur, which I'm very excited about. By working on a project, I mean, I'm just writing it. Like nobody is paying me to do this <laughs> right now, but hopefully that'll change someday. Who so, is it about? President Chester A. Arthur, 21st president, 21st, maybe 22nd. I'd have to wait. I shouldn't count them all. It's he's one. Of, he was in the twenties, not the nineteen twenties, but the twenties of the presidents. He was president in the eighteen eighties. Gotcha. But uh, like uh, or wait a minute, hold on a sec. Yeah, eighteen eighties, and uh, 
I just think his his story is really interesting, and nobody knows or cares about him, so I've had it all to myself. But uh, wait, do most people have the reaction I had? Yeah, they're like, like, "Who?" Okay, good. If you saw, I was just like, "Jesus Christ, my my education." (laughs) No, no, no. He's he's one of these presidents who from there's this the presidents after between Lincoln and like Teddy Roosevelt. There's this era of presidents that people kind of vaguely remember, and even like by the early 20th century, people were like, "Who was?" Who was that one? Like right. Benjamin Harrison? Was that a president? Or am I remembering a name wrong? I'm mm-hmm. thinking of William Henry Harrison. No, there was another. So Benjamin Harrison was a different guy. Right. Okay. Like, uh, and so Chester Arthur is one of those. But it was this crazy time in American history that is very similar to ours in a lot of ways that uh, people don't learn that much about in school because, one, the school year is not long enough. You get to the Civil War. School year is over. Right. Summer break. You learn about something else next year. And, two, it's just like – this very messy time in American history where there were no major wars mm-hmm. and there were no there was a lot there was fighting going on and there was a lot of crazy stuff happening, but it's the it's the era of like railroad strikes that were put down by militias and like the uh and like Native Americans being almost totally pushed out of their ancestral lands and into reservations and like the that political system where what the political party stood for was less important than like I'm a member of this party, so it's going to get me a job in the government when it wins the election, mm. and then part of my salary goes to the party so that they can win the next election, and I'll keep this job. Like, it was like one of these periods that was just like super grimy and like corrupt and gross, and coming after the Civil War, which everyone can feel good about because it ended the way people wanted, because it ended the right way, but people shouldn't feel that good about because we shouldn't have had to have it in the first place, because mm. it's like, if we never had slavery, we wouldn't have that war. But, uh, that like this period that's just kind of like too messy for people to talk about, but it's very interesting because the people at the time were kind of nuts in a way that just reminds me of how nuts people are now. Mm-hmm. And it's out of that period that we get a lot of the good things in the 20th century as a reaction to the bad things of that period. So anyway. What's the thing that you're working on about him? Oh, I want to write a uh, – I'm working on writing a screenplay. It's a comedy screenplay about Chester A. Arthur that uh, – about his, his – uh, rise and not fall exactly but the his story of being kind of the ultimate hack machine politician super slimy but always like a gentleman very debonair very like always wore the 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 best clothes very elegant but not too flashy but uh but all but working to like basically win elections by any means possible and how he becomes president by accident when James Garfield is assassinated and he's the vice president, no one wants him to be president. Like James Garfield is lingering on his deathbed for months and people are like, you've got to pull through because we cannot have Chester as president. <laughs> like that guy is – he's a, just a crony. He's the worst. He's a, right. he's, a, he's a hack. And him becoming president and for the most part turning his back on the people that got him there in order to – be a better president than anyone thought he would be and he started getting letters from this woman that he had never met before in new york that were like telling him like here's what you got to do like nobody wants you to be president they all think you're going to be the worst and you've got to prove them wrong and just like there's a lot of interesting things in the story that i like but there's a lot of funny stuff in it because the times were crazy like his best friend or his his uh he was the lieutenant of this guy i'm gonna make him best friends but uh this New York senator named Roscoe Conkling, who was one of these guys who was obsessed with how he looked, was an amateur boxer, would challenge people to fights if they disagreed with them, but was like one of the great orators of the Senate. But he didn't really stand for anything in particular other than that he should be in charge of things. Mm-hmm. And the uh, 
and Chester Arthur, he like he was famous for the number of the numbers of pairs of pants that he owned. That he owned like seventy five or eighty <laughs> pairs of pants. Like the uh, there's just a lot of like weird things about it. It was this time when uh when American politics was super unprofessional and everyone was like kind of scrambling and doing whatever. And you could go from being a hack politician to president of the United States surprisingly easily. You know, although. Some would say that never stopped, you know, <laughs> right. da, 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 you know. So given that not that much is known about this period of time or people don't know that much about it, um, where do you find your information? Well, so there's, I mean, there's, there's scholarship on it. There is, it's not like, um, it's not as if nobody knows about it. It's just most people don't know. About right. It. And so one of the great things about Chester Arthur is that there's only been like four or five biographies of him. So I can read all of them as opposed to. I love Abraham Lincoln, but if I was going to write something about him, I'd be like, okay, well, there's 10,000 books on Abraham Lincoln. Mm -hmm. I'm never going to be able to read all the scholarship. Uh, But the hard part is then kind of synthesizing that information to make it entertaining in a way. It's like people have been rejecting knowing about this period in history for so long that it's like, how am I going to find a way to make it interesting enough for people to do it? And I think I can figure out a way to do it. But but with some things, it's – I mean, Chester A. Arthur – he burned most of his personal papers before he died, so there's going to have to be a certain amount of like historical uh, imagineering in being like, okay, if I was him and I was in this situation, what would I say or what would I do? Which is exciting because it's it's more exciting writing than just like, okay, here are the famous parts of his life everyone knows right, about, and right. I've got to hit those points. Like there was a in the movie Lincoln that came out. There's the, he's like leaving to go to the to the play to, to our American cousin at Ford's Theater when he's going to, where he gets assassinated, sadly, rest in peace. I make, every time I read a book about Lincoln, I get to that point and I get, start getting very sad and I'm like, maybe this time it won't happen. <laughs> but uh, it was like, you could feel the filmmakers struggling to like, not just have him, not not do it in the way that people would expect because right. everyone knows it. Like they know that story and or like just to have him like, okay, then he gave this speech, all right, and then he did this. Right. Whereas with Chester Ray Arthur, nobody knows. I mean, when I say nobody, I mean nobody but the handful of uh, late 19th century scholars and yeah. Chester A. Arthur biographers, there's very little preconceived notions, which means also that like I can do things with it that would pro- – like if you wrote a story about George Washington and you had him swearing a lot, People would be like, "What?" They'd be like, "Hold on a second. <laughs> yeah. But with this one, they're almost all New York area people, so I'm having, I'm planning to have them swear a lot, and nobody can be like, "That's not the way," you know, Roscoe Conkling would talk. Right? Like, how would you know? You don't know him. But so oh, I'm very excited to see this in the theater, as I'm sure I will. Uh, hopefully, Hollywood, <laughs> get in touch. That's right. This, this historical screenplay about a, a president you've never heard of. Get you know, buy it from me. You know. Speaking of. <sighs> I, now I feel like there's too much attention on my segways because no. I called attention You're to them. You're the segway master. You can do this. I don't – I guess I can. I mean I was going to say speaking of books, but we're talking about movies, but it's a movie. But you're talking about having to read books. Mm-hmm. I want to tell you guys about children's <laughs> books. And also this relates to something we're going to talk about in the future, which in the future, meaning right when I'm done with this, which is your kid's book. But – um. Books are the perfect gift for the littlest readers on your shopping list. I love books. My son loves books. I feel he's superior because he loves books, um, which I think I need to let go of because I don't want to make him just turn into this person who just wants to please me with his love of books. However, I love that he loves books. Who wouldn't love a kid who loves books? (sighs) 
I'm getting distracted from what I'm trying to say. Um, there's this great website, holidaymustreads.com. It's brought to you by Random House Children's Books, and they have tons of ideas for books that make great gifts, and they have them divided in this way that makes it super fun to read and also really helpful. So it's like, here's a bunch of titles for the kid who always wants one more book before bedtime. Here's a bunch of titles for the littlest reader. Here's a bunch of titles for those who need a little added holiday cheer. And those are very fun uh, holiday books. For me, it was it reminded me of a lot of books that I had forgotten about that I'd read as a little kid, like Mr. Willoughby's Christmas Tree. Um, the second I saw that title, I was like, I know that one from when I was young. Uh, there's Duck and Goose, It's Time for Christmas, uh, Grumpy Monkey, Giraffe Problems, Elbow Grease, Bold and Brave. These are just these are just a few titles. There's so many more. For the Young Bookworm, for the Teen Who Craves Excitement. Um, they have some Paw Patrol books on there. And I my son is not into Paw Patrol yet, but my nephew is, so quite familiar with Paw Patrol. Uh it's just it's a great it's a great resource and a great place to go to get great books for little people. Uh so again that's holidaymustreads.com. Go there for more ideas. Holidaymustreads.com, holidaymustreads.com. Okay. And another book that you should for sure get is Elliot Kalin's book, Horse Meets Dog. It is hilarious. So well done. Tell Thank me about you. it. So it's a book. Uh, I wrote the words. Uh, Tim Miller did the illustrations. He also does the illustrations for the Snapsy, the Alligator books, and the Hamster Source Rex series. And he has two books of his own starring the characters Moo Moo and Mr. Quackers. And it's the story of a horse that meets a dog. The dog assumes that the horse is a very big dog. The horse assumes that the dog is a tiny baby horse. And (laughs) they argue about it for for a long time. And not that long. It's a kid's book. It doesn't take that long time to read. And... uh, when I've read it to kids, they like it a lot. Uh, it's a, it's a funny book for children of all ages, from one to 101. Not really one, maybe like three. One would be too young. <laughs> like three to 103. Uh, <laughs> and it's a – when writing it, I was keeping in mind if a kid likes this book, their parents are going to have to read it to them a lot. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to try to make this as much as possible a book that is – multiple times repeatable readable that's what I'm, that's the phrase i'm going to oh, coin good. right now yeah. it's, a, it's a repeatable readable as opposed to there's some books that my son had my son also loves books and do and, you feel he's superior because of it yeah i do yeah it's it's hard oh for my me. god he's a young scholar yeah exactly exactly yeah uh, he loves <laughs> he's, 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 yeah and uh it's i grew up in a very in a in a book i grew up in a book household and now my wife and i have built a book household it's like there's books everywhere. We're always reading, and it makes me very happy that he likes to read yeah, and same. that he has a facility with books, you know. And this was one he likes it a lot, and I'm like, oh, if he likes it, that's good. And there are books that we read to him that I enjoy, but the first time I'll enjoy them, and I'll be like, that was a really fun book. And he's like, read it again, Daddy. And I'm like, we just read it. Yeah. Okay, I'll read it again. And the yeah. second time, I'm like, okay, this book is like it's a little too wordy. And then that's the- how where we are with Corduroy. Which oh, okay, my son yeah. calls Reroy. <laughs> There's so many words in there. Yeah. Um, I watched my dad read it to him, and my dad. And I don't know if it's just that my dad, like, needed his glasses and he didn't have it, but he was like, "Here's a bear. 
here's a tree. He just described what was in the pictures. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God, that's like a brilliant way to not have to read all these words. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good, that's a really good strategy. Although I think that Elliot is smart enough to be like, that's not how this goes. Well, that's the thing. Eventually they get to the point where they're like, uh, I know the words. Yeah. You left out this part. There's, <laughs> yeah. a, there's a book I really like a lot called The Runaway Dinner. And it's really fun, but it has too many words in it. And so when we read it, every, there are all these these moments. It's a very It's a very British book. And there'll be things like, Oh, and they were running over here. Oh, and I almost forgot. Yes, there was this thing too. So how fun is that? Very <laughs> oh, much boy. so. And like the first time you read it through, you're like, this is so charming. And then by the 50th time, I'm like, mm, maybe I'll cut out some of these asides. And yeah. my son is like, daddy, that's not what it says there. <laughs> what about that part? And so this one, it's horse meets dog. It is a very, it's very repeatable that way. And uh, we just had like that, the and it's come from uh, Balzer and Bray, which is a division of HarperCollins and like, the people at Balls and Bray and at, at Harper Kids have been fantastic, and they've given us like a ton of support with this. And for a first picture book experience, I've been just super lu- lucky and and uh, really lucked into like the best of all possible situations. And we got to go. Tim and I got to go on this like four city schools book tour, going to schools in different cities, and it was really fun to like read the book to kids and have them react to it, and to know that the book. It's very exciting to me that the book will be read aloud to children, that the words will kind of like exist in physical space that way, as opposed to just like when a grown up reads a book, like I've read many books that like affected me deeply, but like it was just between me and the book. Like it didn't get anywhere else. (laughs) Like it didn't, the world was was not aware of what I was like uh, last year, I finally got around to reading Orlando by Virginia Woolf. And I'm like, why didn't I not read this book Mm -hmm. 20 years ago? Like I love it, but it wasn't like, I wasn't reading it to him. It wasn't like I could share that with anybody in the moment. Right, you know? it wasn't a communal experience. Exactly. Whereas when you're reading to a child, it is that communal experience. And it's and it means a lot to me that like I can visualize like, oh, there are parents who are going to be like reading this book to their kids before they go to sleep. And hopefully the kid will ask, will ask for it by name, but uh, as kids often do with their favorite books. And it's just a very special thing to be a part of that. This sounds creepy, but to be a part of that kind of like intimate moment between a parent <laughs> and a child is very exciting. And I mean that in a way of like, I know what you mean. like, yeah, yeah. Shedding warmth on a thing rather right. than like, Ugh. <laughs> like <let's, laughs> now that I'll be able to interject myself between a parent and a child. You know? um, where did the idea for the book come from? It came from something that my son saw when, so my wife grew up in Sonoma, California, beautiful town. And, we go there often, and in the middle of town, there is a Clydesdale farm that's been there for forever. And the and right now, the town is that the the owners of the farm want to sell it, and people are trying to get the town to buy it so that they can keep it as a farm, so it won't get turned into like fancy wine tasting rooms. And I, if anyone would like to help out with that effort, please do mm-hmm. uh, get in touch. Yeah, get in touch with I guess the Sonoma City Council and say <laughs> I'll give you five million dollars. Uh, the but. We were a couple years ago when my son was about two. We were visiting these horses, and there was a dog lying on the ground looking at a horse. And my thought, my son thought it was so funny. He was just like he could not explain what was so funny, but he thought it was so funny that a dog would look at a horse. Uh-huh. And it was like maybe the first moment when he realized, like, oh, animals interact with other animals. Like, I think it's easy for people to forget that the same way that. Uh, you'll hear about like like Norway has an argument with China, and you'll be like, "Wait a minute!" But America's not involved with that, <laughs> right? How could they re- how could they react to each other? Uh-huh. Like you forget that other countries get involved. That it's like, oh, like a dog will see a horse, and it's not like the dog is like, hmm. Humans think of that as an animal to ride. Like the dog <laughs> will have his own thoughts about it, right? And I was like, I bet that dog 
thinks that horse is a really big horse. And I turned to my wife, who's a children's librarian, and I was like, I think there might be a kid's book in that. And she was like, maybe. Like, and uh, <laughs> but uh, I was just had you, was like, is it writing a children's book something you had wanted to do before? Yes, and I had been talking to there's my my children's literary agent is this guy Stephen Malk, who's who represents a, a number of much more amazing children's literature people than I like he represents like Mac Barnett and Adam Rex and a number of other like huge people and who are super talented and the and so he had gotten in touch with me because of something I had written on a parenting website about how much my son loves garbage trucks and now his what was art, the website it was called it was parents.co I think and my my son's ardor has since cooled for garbage trucks but <laughs> at the time it was like whenever the garbage truck came by we had to go out yeah. and sit on the stoop and watch it and it was like you could see him like saluting like <laughs> you know like god bless you like this it's good. <laughs> you, you, your you beautiful bastards <laughs> like thank you and uh and so uh and he got in touch with me and asked if i'd be interested in in children's books and i had an idea for a book i still would like to write about an experience my grandmother had when she was a young girl and she went to the 1939 World's Fair in New York, which is another like semi-obsession of mine, and got to see, got to be like broadcast on television when it was still a very new thing, and the broadcast radius was probably like 30 blocks, you know, something. But the uh, and I had been trying to work on that, and we had he and I had been talking about this idea, and I wrote up a draft of it, and then I was like, you know what, I'm just gonna like write up this horse and dog thing too, and I sent them both to him. And he was like, this thing about the, the the girl at the World's Fair, like it's not quite there. This is not the what you want to start out with, picture books. It's like, but this horse and dog thing, like we got to get on this. Like, let's do this. And it was – Before someone else does. <laughs> yeah. And it was really – and it was exciting because it was – children's books are like there's – I mean I've always wanted to write a book. You know, There's something about writing a physical book that feels like you're a real person in the same way that like – if I ever – this will never happen, but if I ever get something accepted by the Shouts and Murmurs Department at the New oh, Yorker, yeah. I'll be like, oh, OK. Now I'm a humorist now. Like, <laughs> oh, I made it. Now, this is something my grandmother will see. And so the uh, – because she, she clips the, the department out and mails it to me and <laughs> with Post-it notes on it that say like, this sounds like something you would write. And, oh. <laughs> and it's like a very sweet thing, but – Half the time it's like Andy Borowitz, and I'm like, oh well, you know, it's not like exactly my my cup of tea. But <laughs> right. but uh, the uh, but so like to write to have a physical thing and to know that like a child will read this. Hopefully, it'll make some impression on them. They'll remember it. Mm-hmm. Like this is something that someone could stumble on in a library or in a bookstore or a used bookstore. Like these these copies of this book will exist. Like so, any kind of book was exciting to me. But especially kids' books are like there's a. Like really good kids books and mine is not of this level, but like have a real magic to them that is like more beautiful than anything else. Like Where the Wild Things Are is such a beautiful book Mm -hmm. and like uh, The Runaway Bunny is such a beautiful book. And there's a Mac Barnett, John Klassen book called Extra Yarn that I think is just like gorgeous. And there's something about them that is so much more – I don't know. Like it's it sounds dumb to to say like there's a magic about them, but there is a magic about mm-hmm. them. And I don't mean necessarily like the Disney magic, you know, <laughs> like although there's plenty of magical things that Disney's created, yeah. but like a real sense of you are going to like a child will read that book and it will stick with them forever. Right. You know, like there are the when my son was born, it was like, "Oh, I can't wait to share with him the books that like meant a lot to me when I was young." And Someday he'll let me share with him Alice in Wonderland, which is my favorite book of all time. And every time I'm like, let's try reading this, he goes, no, it's boring. I don't want to read it. And now it's like 
he's put so much stock into it being boring that he will never let me read right. it. But and I know at some point when he's like five, when when or the movie's when he's like eight, I'll catch him reading it on his own. Uh-huh. It'll be like it'll be one of those moments. This will be like a sitcom moment where like I peek around the door and he's engrossed in Alice in Wonderland, and I just go like I just smile and kind of like sneak away because I don't want him to know I saw yeah. him because I'll break them. Like it's a real like like Folgers call like Maxwell House coffee uh-huh. like like ad type thing. But uh, the it was yeah it was something that. To know now that like oh there's like a kids book out there that that I wrote and that like a kid will enjoy it it's just it's a it's a super special thing yeah. and then did they pair you with the artist how did that come about uh the my the Stephen Malk the agent he said like I wanted you to he he said like you should be with an artist to do this and he showed me a couple people's work and he said but I really think Tim Miller would be the right person. And when I saw his work, I was like, yeah, that's exactly like – that's what it looked like in my head. And the way he drew the book, it's like this is exactly how I imagined it. Like it was just like the exact – just the exact right match. So I really lucked out with it and didn't have to say like "Mm, on this page, change this. Like this should be over here. Right. It was just like great. Yes, good. Do it. And I'm hoping that we'll get to do another one with these characters and that we'll – get to work together on we're talking about other ideas that we might because this one it was like i wrote it and then he drew it that stuff that we might be able to collaborate a little bit more on because he is someone who i just really like and get along with and who like takes whatever he's working on and just like moves it to another level and uh it was a real lucky it shows you why there are representatives in in creative industries because he's like hmm you would work well with this person on this. And I was mm. like, you're exactly right. This was, you You know what you're doing. This That's is great. That's amazing. That's great. Um, okay. Let's, let's tell everyone where they can get that book. Okay. Horse Meets Dog. It's available any, I mean, anywhere you can get books, you should be able to find it. I would, my recommendation, go to your local independent bookstore, see if they have it. If they don't have it, then you can always go to like Amazon or something yes. like that. I'll put an Amazon link to it in the episode summary. But okay, that would be wonderful. But know this: that uh, it's important to, to support your local yes. independent bookstores. There's, it's uh, we uh, so there's a bookstore in Sonoma called Readers that my wife worked there when she was in high school, and we've had a relationship with them for years and years. And the the, the owners of the store, one of them, he has a klezmer band, and they played at our wedding. And like the just the Sunday after Thanksgiving, which was a couple of weeks ago, or was it? Yeah, it was like a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I did a reading there and it was just like – it was just such – it was a very special thing to be like this is the town where the idea for this book came from. This is this bookstore we've had this long-term relationship with, like we feel very close to. And all these people came who – and there was this, there was an article about it in the paper that, oh, that's so that cool. was really cool. And they – and these people came who were just really supportive and it was like the – it was one of – it was – I've had a few moments in my life that were just like very like special glowing like – this would be the climax of the episode moments uh. or like this is the last scene in the movie episode and it felt kind of like that. So it's – that's the kind of thing you get at your local bookstore when that's it's right. the center of the community. You that's know? right. But if you can't – You it, don't get that at Borders. No, you do not. Or B. Dalton. Or B. Or Walden Books. <laughs> right. No, thank you. <laughs> but uh, but you know what? If you don't have an independent bookstore in your town – You can also get that by going online. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> you can get the big, the big part of it by going online, yeah. Um. Okay, so we do a segment on this show called Just Me or Everyone, where people mm-hmm. write in with things they think or do, and they wonder, is it just me or is it everyone? And then we weigh in. 
But first, I should tell you guys I'm on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Allison Rosen is where you go. There's all different reward levels, all sorts of fun stuff behind the scenes, content, bonus episodes, um, an exclusive live stream. Last month, I did it from Hawaii and there were real live. Well, they weren't alive, but at one point they had been shells behind me. And uh, like in a whole wicker situation in the hotel room. And it was, it's, it set the scene for it being very tropical. Mm-hmm. It was extremely tropical. And also at one point I, I took the computer out on the balcony. So you'll feel like you're in Hawaii if you see that one. That's where the Patreon is like the independent bookstore of the internet. It really is. It's yeah. the readers of the internet. Yeah. Uh, Patreon.com slash Allison Rosen. Okay. Just me or everyone. Sometimes I ponder on. Something I have thought or done Is it just me or everyone? James Leroy Wilson says, When I see a bag of corn in the freezer, I think, I can't cook that. I might need it as an emergency ice pack someday. No, I don't... I appreciate that thought, but I don't have that because we have like a thousand ice packs because I did IVF and sometimes when you pick up the medicine from the pharmacy, it needs to it's medicine that needs to be refrigerated. So they'll put an ice pack in there. And so then we just keep them. So we're like overflowing with ice packs. So I can cook corn with with no concern. We have a similar situation, but with the ice packs from our CSA. Is they, What's that? It's a community share agriculture. It's a farm thing uh-huh. where like you, you, you send – you give them – it's just like almost a subscription farm. And they deliver fresh food right to your door. That's cool. And it's farm fresh or whatever. But it's always in a in a basket with ice packs. So yeah, we have too many ice packs. Right. So my son in the morning, he's like, I want frozen blueberries with my with my breakfast. And I'm like, yeah, take them all. We need to make room in the freezer. <laughs> I don't need to use this for for an ice pack at any point. But when I was in my 20s, it was like I had a bag of frozen broccoli that was very much – it was like for okay. emergencies. Yeah, if I if I like slam my hand on a door by accident, like that's what the broccoli is for. Right. Okay. I'm gonna need help parsing this one. Dave Cross says, "I used to be free of this curse, but thanks to vibrate becoming the norm on cell phones, I am now gripped with terror anytime a phone rings on TV." I used to be free of this curse. Things to vibe. There's so much. There's a lot of backstory to. I know. There. Needs more exposition. Okay, I think that what he's saying <laughs> is he's gripped with terror when a phone rings. Oh, because he's just not used to hearing a phone ring. Oh, anymore. I see. Maybe that's it. Or does he think it's his landline? Because that's. I thought he was saying at first that he thought it was his phone, which doesn't happen to me with phones, but it does with alarm clocks. If yes. an alarm clock goes off on TV. I have the reaction of someone who is just waking up, which is anger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that I'm not sleeping anymore. And I find myself like, no, no, hold on. This is, I was awake already. This right. is not my, not me. Or I'm, this probably happens to you. If you hear like a crying baby. Oh, yes. You're like, oh, what? Uh. Yeah. It's interesting how um, you'd think that your crying baby has like a special crying fingerprint that mm-hmm. is, snow, is a snowflake and unlike any other, but <laughs> they all sound the same. Yeah. They're all, it's all the same baby. Yeah. Yeah. So every time I hear a crying baby on TV, I'm like, what? Is that yeah. my child? Yeah. Wait a minute. And even we, before our, our second baby was born, who's a baby now, my son, when he was three, four years old, I'd hear a baby on TV and go, my baby. No, hold on a second. I don't have a baby. Right. Like this. <laughs> Wait a minute. Yeah. 
It's like, it's Pavlovian. Leonie Hughes says, just me or everyone. When I see my password written out and not a series of asterisks, I feel extremely exposed and vulnerable. Just me or everyone. I don't really have that. Um, I think because I'm not often on public computers. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. In fact, I, I, I find it sort of fun to click the thing that where it's like reveal. <laughs> <laughs> And then you're like, oh, that is the one I chose because I can never re- remember my passwords. <laughs> so it's like a little, like a, it's like a tiny surprise party. Yes. When you do it, like yeah. a very tiny inconsequential surprise party. Exactly. Uh, Nick Wester, PI, says, anytime a show reads an email or a tweet from a listener named Nick, I think to myself, did I send that and just forget? Uh, did I send that and did I just forget? Nope. Did I send that and I just forgot? <laughs> You guys, reading is challenging, even though we've expressed that we both come from scholarly mm-hmm. households. <laughs> yeah, full of full of academics. People who read all the time. That's still, right. I, I have the thing where if I am reading a, a word and about to say something to someone else, the word I just read will become part of what I'm saying, even yes. if it, I don't mean it to. Yes. Or this happened to me recently is I was talking to a friend earlier in the day, and then I was talking to a professional colleague later in the day and called the colleague by the friend's name because their name sounded similar enough mm-hmm. and i was like wait but they're not I, then i had to untie it in my head like why was that the name that came into my head yes but the uh so that doesn't happen to me but what happens is elliot is a rare enough name that i do have to think like oh they're not talking about me okay like mm-hmm. like my dad had a good friend named elliot and he would be like oh elliot told me this thing and it would be something that there was no way I knew as a kid or like you know Elliot was listening to Howard Stern he said Howard said this thing and I'm like I don't listen to Howard Stern oh (laughs) no it's his friend Elliot hold on a second there's a lot of context clues here wait right I've had that on the radio where they're gonna announce like the winner of something and I'm like maybe it'll be me even though I didn't enter it (laughs) so this is gonna this is gonna be a a humble brag right now is when they announced like there were a number of times when I was on the Daily Show staff and we won Emmys and every time they would announce the winners, the, you know, the Emmy goes to the Daily Show. John Stewart. My, I had the reverse where my assumption was I heard wrong. Like that's they announced something else. I shouldn't get up, and all my coworkers are like getting up to go on stage, and I'm like, and I want to always want to be like, guys, we heard wrong. <laughs> it was a different name that they said. Yeah. Or like, if I'm giving a speech at a wedding, and they say now the the best man, Elliot, and I, I'll be like, hold on, wait a second. Okay, yes, I'm Elliot. That's you're right. That is the relationship I have with the groom. Is that I'm his best friend or brother. I would be giving a speech at this moment. Right. Okay, yeah. And I-, I have a weird thing. By the way, I just put on glasses and then took them off because this is my first pair of glasses. I've oh, very always exciting. Been, it is. Thank you. I've always bragged about how I have perfect vision and then suddenly I, I no longer have perfect vision. They're progressives and I'm having trouble getting used to them um, and I'm not sure I'm going to stick with them. I might. I might have to bail out and just get a pair of distance and a pair of close-up but anyway they none of you needed to know that (laughs) given that you can't see me but i just i had to share i have a weird thing where someone will give me something and like i think they've given me a present or i think it's for me but i'm not 100 percent sure so i don't want to say thank you because i don't want to be assuming that it's for me like I went, I remember going on a, a long time ago, going on a date and it was close to my birthday, but I hadn't told the guy that it was like when my birthday was coming up, but he, he knew somehow. And like this dessert with a candle in it arrived at the table, 
when I think about it, like, of course that was a birthday thing, but I didn't, I was just like frozen. <laughs> like I'm going to wait till I have more context cues <laughs> to for sure say, Oh, thank you. That was so nice of you. Cause I don't know what's happening right now. <laughs> I just feel like I've been in various situations like that where I don't want to assume. So I like come off. So I just kind of freeze. Yeah. And you, you come off as like weird. Yeah. Or like too cool for school. Yes. Like, there, there are time been times when, uh, like, I don't know whether to, I mean, this happens to me all the time, and it makes me feel terrible. It's like the hug or the shake hands, and it's like I don't want to assume too much. This is someone I've known for a while, but I don't want to assume too much familiarity because right. I don't want to throw them off. So I put my hand out, and they're already mid, like, putting their arms out yeah. for a hug, and I feel like just a total jerk because it's like, well, yeah, of course we would hug. Like, I've known this person for right. eight years. Like, yes. Yes. A lot of awkwardness comes out of not wanting to be presumptuous. Yeah. When really it's – there's a – I really admire – People who are like a certain type of jerk where they don't care what anyone thinks, so they're very unselfconscious, and that means that they actually like don't fall into those traps a right. lot of the time. The guy, the like, like big guys were like, Hey, put it there, pal, yeah. you know, whatever, like, uh, like the, you know, the kind of people who go who who call like they walk by an old lady and they're like, Hey, beautiful, yeah. <laughs> and it's, and the old lady's like, yeah, I'm like people like those people. Yeah, they love them because it's like so you don't you they it's like oh they're not they they're not worried about like the form of how they should address right. someone or like meet someone. So I shouldn't be either. And like there those people are really good at at handling like people who have disabilities mm-hmm. or different or like mental handicaps because they're just like hey buddy put her there what's up and yeah. it's like when whereas you and I are like I want to make sure I don't, I don't say anything wrong. Yeah, exactly. How do yeah. I navigate this? And yeah. they're like. I address everyone the exact same way. So I mean, that's the and that's the also thing that gets them into trouble where they're probably at work and they're like, the CEO of the company come by, comes by and they're like, "Put it there, pal." Like, but in every other situation, it works out great for them. Yeah, yeah. I would like to be that person that like puts everyone at ease in public. Yeah, what a dream that would be. It would be amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's... I'm not the I, I'm not the person who brightens everyone's day in the grocery store line. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to be. <laughs> I mean, the thing I'm is, I'm friends with that person though, and she just spreads sunshine everywhere she goes. It's like she flirts with everyone, mm-hmm. and it's not and not in a sexual way, but she's just chatty and friendly and charming. And like, I can do that in spurts, but it's not my. But my natural inclination is to just be quiet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, it's just, just like head down. Let's just get through this transaction. <laughs> exactly. Let's just go. I, but because it's always you worry if you do it the wrong way, you come off like the worst person in the world if you're like joking around and being everybody's friend but it's not landing and then <laughs> right. it's just like who is this yeah who is this person <laughs> yeah uh, um okay jmos for a rose says no matter how many times i successfully go through security wearing the same thing always expect to set off the metal detector i had a similar a related experience recently at the airport where I went through the metal detector and like felt like, Oh, like, Oh, phew. I'm such a, this is going to sound like a weird phrase, but it was like, I'm such a good girl. Like nothing. I didn't set (laughs) off anything, but it's like, I've never set off anything, but I I really felt like, look at me following the rules being Mm -hmm. good. Like that feeling when a cop passes you by and doesn't pull you over. Yeah. 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 "Yeah, Look at me. I I definitely get that whenever there's a cop on the road, I instantly am like, well, I'm in trouble now. And yeah. of course I'm not. I am a a, You're not a, drug white, user. a white man approaching middle age driving a reasonable car. Yeah. Not, a, not a very flashy car nor a crazy car. So like. What color is your car? 
silvery gray. There you go. It's, it's so a, sensible. It's a used Chevy Volt. Like it's <laughs> not, it's a very sensible car. Right. Uh, and the or like when I'm on the security line, yeah. There's that part of me that's like, what am I going to have that's going to get me in trouble this right. time? And the only time I've ever really gotten in trouble is if I have like baby formula with me. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, you can either like I had a a vacuum sealed thing of milk once for my son. And we were like, we'll bring this. We don't need to refrigerate it. So it, it'll be good for the whole flight. And they're like, you're going to have to open that up to prove it's not, you know, explosive poison. And I was like, but that defeats the purpose of having it if we open it. Right. And they're like, okay, well then let me give you the most invasive search short of taking you into another room <laughs> that, that I can do. And I was like, okay, fine. I'll go through the search. And it was like, it was such a harrowing experience. And were they? do you feel like they were trying to make it awful? I think so. And I think they were trying to make me an example for everyone else. Mm. Like, this is what it looks like when we search you. And I'm in front of everybody in the security area. And it was a lot of like, like down the back of pants and like, like really, it was very, it was like against your skin. Uh, you know what? Not that time, but one time I was, I was flying out of, uh, Omaha, Nebraska. And it was this super tiny airport. Maybe it was Lincoln. I think it was Omaha. And it was like the super tiny airport. And the security guy ran his hand inside the back of my pants against my skin huh. to f- look for I don't know what. Right. And, like, if I had I, – I like, I don't know – Hemorrhoids? If, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, like if, I, if I had some kind of cyanide ampule that was, like, disguised as a mole or something like that. <laughs> and But it was, it was not as bad as that, but it was close to that. And afterwards, I felt, like, really, like – if I felt, like, emotionally drained. Yeah. And it was, like, one of those moments where it's, like, oh, there are people where that is a big part of their life, is not being trusted and – having to go through those types of experiences all the time. Right, like and that's privilege. It, it, it was, was privilege so... of me that I was like, oh, oh, <laughs> I never, oh, excuse yeah. gentlemen, you know, so. But I'm wondering how this invasive body search made them know that your milk was okay. It didn't. It was almost like they were, it was more of a like a, we got to go through poison. the motions yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. Like, this is, look, we're either, we either got to open this thing or we got to make it look like we did a real search. The It was, it was kind of like a... There was a time when I was coming back in from Canada, notably dangerous country, <laughs> right. and I had got I had a tub of solidified maple butter that I was bringing for home for my wife as something, and the guy was like, "Can't bring it through," and I was like, "It's not a liquid," and he's like, "Can't do it," and he took it and he slam dunked it into a garbage can, Aww. like over like windmill arm overhand slam dunk, and I was like. He didn't have to do. That. I said to him, "I was like, you didn't have to do that." Like it was like he was really adding insult to injury. Like, not only am you spent money on this, it's totally harmless, and I'm not going to let you take it in right. as a gift to your wife. But also, I'm going to like literally in your face it, like when I throw it out. It yeah, was, I don't know, but you know what? You got bored doing security. There's not a lot going on. I Every time, now and then, you got to spice it up by like making a deal with somebody. <laughs> I guess. Right. Yeah, I had an apple in my bag. Um because Elliot, not you, my son, is mm-hmm. super into apples. And I'm like, this will eat up like an hour and a half of plane time, just him <laughs> holding and trying to eat this apple. <laughs> but you're not allowed to bring fruit from Hawaii to the mainland. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they said that we would have to eat it in the airport. And so I just got rid of it. But I don't... Well, this is really something I could look up on my own instead of talking about it on the podcast. But why can you not bring fruit? Do you know? I mean, my guess is that if there's like a parasite or something in there or some kind of like it makes crop me worry disease. about their their fruit. Then <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, what are they? And well, Hawaii known for terrible fruit. Yeah, that's the other thing is that like hat like so like that's where like all our pineapples come from. That's like there's huge fruit plantations right. in, in Hawaii. So I get it when it's between countries because countries don't trust each other. Mm-hmm. But Hawaii. Yeah, they're that, us. That's been ours since we stole it from them a <laughs> hundred years ago. 
Noel Barrett says, I don't like overtaking slow walkers while approaching a queue. Very oh, con- very British. Yeah. As it feels like I'm trying to cut in before the queuing even begins. I don't care about that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm that asshole. I used to feel that way, but the older I get, the less I care. Yeah. The, the more I'm like, you know what? I've got less and less time on this earth. I got to do this thing. <laughs> right. And eventually I hope to get to the point old people are at where they will cut ahead of you in line. And if you point it out, they're just like, oh, and then they stay. They don't yeah. move. It's like they don't care. An old woman did that to me at the DMV. Um, it was like a huge serpentine line. And then when you get to some, I, I blocked out how it all went. But at a certain point, you sit in chairs. And um, and there was there was an empty chair to the right of me, which was further in line. Like mm-hmm. I just hadn't gotten up and scooted yet. And all of a sudden this little old lady comes and sits down in it. And she's like, they told me to go to the back of the line. And I'm like, this is not the back of the line. This is the front of the line. <laughs> and, and I think I, I, I had been there for so long. I think I said something like, I think this is the front of the line. She's like, oh, you don't mind, do you? I just can't. <laughs> da, da, da. And I was like, a lot of people feel that way. And I did mind. Yeah, you but, did mind. But you just got to tell yourself, She's someday got, that's me. <laughs> well, I mean that. Yeah, that's part of the t- two part. One, someday I'll have that ability. Right. And also, she's got so little time left on this earth. Do I want her to spend it waiting in line? Get her out of here. Yeah. I don't want her dropping dead on this line. You're right. That's you're a right. whole deal. Then you're like, do I say something? <laughs> right. Or, or do I just let it happen? Yeah. I didn't. Thankfully, I didn't have to worry about the butterfly effect of that situation. <laughs> yeah. Misa Spence says, seeing that quote, you're all caught up message on Instagram makes me feel like I accomplished something. And sometimes it is my only win of the day. I, I don't think I've ever seen that. Where do you see it? Have you seen it? I mean, I'm not on Instagram, but I definitely uh, feel like there's sometimes when I'll be, I have the exact opposite reaction when I'm on Twitter and I'm like, new tweets and nothing new comes up. Yes. And I feel like... I feel like my phone is broken. <laughs> you know, it's like something's going wrong. And it's, I get the same feeling I got when... I used to... I went through a period... For my career and recreationally, I watch a lot of bad movies. And I went through a period when I was single where I was like watching bad movies for fun by myself. Mm-hmm. And then eventually I was like, what am I doing with my life? <laughs> and when I get to the end of Twitter and there's no new ones, I'm like... I have that moment where I'm like, entertain me. But then also it's like, what, what am I doing with myself? Yeah. This is... I need this so badly right now. Right. But I could see how that would be like a real, I certainly am chasing the accomplishment of having my email say inbox zero and I'll never get there. But it's, but if I ever did, I would be like, well, now I can die. Like I did it all, you know, I did. I like, did did I do like a batch delete or I did something where I got my inbox to zero and I was like, well, now I have to spend all my time maintaining this. <laughs> it was like a very empty victory, but it did feel good for a moment. Elliot Kalin, it was so much fun talking to you. I feel like I could talk to you forever. Oh, thanks so much. It was so much fun to be here. I feel the same way. Well, there you go. You'll just have to come back sometime. Um, tell everyone where they can find everything. Plug so, everything. You got it. This will be a series of plugs. So Please. I'm on Twitter at, at Elliot Kalin. That's Two L's, two T's, E-L-L-I-O-T-T-K-A-L-A-N. I was about to say dot com, but that's not how Twitter handles no. work. It's just at and my name. Yeah. Uh, Horse Meets Dog, as we said, available in bookstores everywhere. If you do not have a bookstore near you, order it online. It's available online also. Wherever, look, wherever you can get a book, this book is available. Yes. So get this it's one. not hard to get it. Mm-mm. If you're like, oh, I really want it, but I don't know how, just think about any book. That's how to get it. <laughs> uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000, The Gauntlet, is on Netflix now. Uh, if you... 
didn't see the last season of Mr. Science Theater, that's totally cool. You can still enjoy it. But if you want to, they're both up on Netflix right now. And The Flophouse is a podcast that it's available on iTunes or wherever. wherever it's another one of those ones yeah. where it's like, where do you get podcasts? Get it from there. And it's mm-hmm. called The, the Flophouse. And it's me and me and my buddies, Dan and Stu, just talking about bad movies. And It's very uh, funny. Thank you. We, if you ever wanted to hear us discuss how Bruce Willis is more and more looking like an old egg, <laughs> that's what we talked about recently. Uh, and I wish I had more to... I wish I had more things to plug. I feel uh, like that's a lot of good plugging. Yeah, there's plenty of plugging, right? Yeah, that's I, good. I have... Wait, I don't want to... St- if you have more, though... No, that's fine. Okay. I have things to plug that you can get in a similar fashion. So I'm on Twitter at Allison Rosen. I am on Instagram at Allison Rosen. And I have a book out called Tropical Attire and Courage and Other Phrases That Scare Me. Um, if you go to AllisonRosen.com, there's plenty of places to click that'll take you right to Amazon where you can get it. Also, AllisonRosen.com is where you get all sorts of information on all the other stuff. We have ringtones, we have t-shirts, we have pins, etc. Um, also, I have a new podcast that I'm doing with Greg Fitzsimmons, and it is called Childish, and it's a parenting podcast, and it's really fun, and I hope you'll check it out, and you can get it wherever you listen to podcasts. You can get it where you get Flophouse. You can get it where you get this podcast and the other ones you listen to, um, and you don't have to have kids to listen to it. A lot of people have written in and said they don't have kids, but they're enjoying it, so that is delightful, and also, if you have kids, I think you'll enjoy it. Childish and you can go to that website, childishpod.com. Um, and if you like what you're hearing, podcast or just if wherever you are, if you like what you're hearing, leave it a comment on um, uh, five stars is everyone's favorite number and a review. And that'll just help out the podcast or, or whatever it is. If you're overhearing a great conversation, review that. Um, thank you for listening. I love you. Goodbye. Hey, do you know and Rose and Show. We had a good time, but now we gotta go. Yeah, Alice and Rose and